joining us today. Welcome to another episode of Marketing Gets Real. Today, we're super excited. Carrie and I have some dear friends and partners here of ours from Found Consulting. We have Brent Scott, who's the CEO, and she's been in recruiting for over a decade with a focus on marketing talent. She started Found in 2019 after seeing a gap in the marketplace between what marketing agencies and ad agencies actually needed and being able to get that talent quickly. And so Found was her solution. So we're glad she did that because we use the Found team often. And Lindsay is uh, the head, uh, Lindsay Warren, the head of talent acquisition. So Lindsay got her start in marketing, um, the big West Coast ad agencies. I didn't know this when I read this, Lindsay, so we have to talk about this over wine at some point. And then eventually made her way over to Denver and also saw how hard it was to hire great people. And so joined with Bren and little side note, she is an NCAA national champion in softball. So she's super competitive. Oh, um, wow. Does Julie know this? Does Julie know this? I know. <laughs> Julie used to play for the Ducks. So it's yeah. all oh, wow. we hear about. Go Ducks all day long. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. no, no. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, so welcome. I welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I love it. Uh, well, and Brent's got a hockey background, which we'll probably get to at some point too. So I was like, that's why we probably never get to the softball because all we do is talk <laughs> hockey. So <laughs> mm-hmm. love it. Love Classic. it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, we are super excited to have you guys here. So why don't we just dive in? We are at a unique point in time. Um, you guys have been on a crazy journey with us over the last couple of years. And I wanted to give a quick shout out to Carl Sackis for introducing us to you. I remember we went to Carl a couple of years ago and said, we need help. And he's like, I've got the solution for you. So Carl is an agency consultant. So shout out to you, Carl, for your matchmaking abilities. But we've loved working with the found team and, and it's been quite a journey, right? You know, Dana and I talked about this on the first episode of how rough it's been being an agency and trying to service our clients, which are primarily B2B tech companies that are going through this kind of wild roller coaster ride of COVID and overhiring, underhiring, right sizing, and for us trying to staff to their needs as their needs are changing and their staff is changing every day, right? Literally every day. So you guys have just been such a great partner for us in this journey. So thank you for everything there. But why don't you kind of tell us your story, your journey? How did you guys get here and what's the tea on the backside? (laughs) I guess I'll kick things off. Yeah. So as Dana mentioned in that lovely intro, yeah, I've been in recruiting for a long time in a variety of industries, and I had the opportunity to work at an e-commerce focused digital agency in 2018. And it was there that I really began to realize, oh my gosh, these marketing agencies, because we had partnerships, we worked with other agencies that had different specialties. We worked with small businesses that needed internal marketing talent to manage that agency relationship. And I began to realize how difficult that was for smaller companies to find talent, to retain talent, to attract talent. And so it made me wonder, like, well, what are the options for these companies, right? Like, and I'm sure you all know as business leaders, you probably get your doors knocked down by headhunters with these like 
impossibly perfect resumes for some position <laughs> that you posted. And they're like wiped of all identifying information. And oh, this candidate just became available. And look at it. It's almost <laughs> like they, they copy and paste the job qualifications. And then you get interested and maybe you talk to some people and you fall in love. And then you find out, oh, well, they're $50,000 over budget and you have to pay a 25% fee. And I know that for the agency that I worked at, that was not possible. So I just started thinking about what we could do, like how we could differentiate ourselves. If I was to go out on my own and start my own business, what would that look like? And how could I partner with companies that had those same struggles? And so that's where Found Consulting was born. I ended up leaving the agency that I was with, but then turned right around and they were one of my first clients. Uh, so <laughs> it was really, really great. And I think that we've seen at Found Consulting, we've seen that there is a market for this. Like There is an appetite amongst agencies and small businesses that that need that specialized help that your managers, they're busy and they're not necessarily expert interviewers. And yeah, Carrie and I definitely are not. <laughs> we don't put that on our resume. Well, I didn't want to mention you guys, but I was definitely. <laughs> no. Go right ahead, Bryn. Go right ahead. We're very comfortable yeah. in our shoes. I was actually thinking of your lack of expertise in chatting about, no. But no, to have someone who can be an integrated partner with your agency, who can really get to know you and your culture and what you need and, and how you're differentiated in the market market from every other agency out there. I think we've seen that there's really an appetite for that. And, and then that all leads to Lindsay. Thank God Lindsay came on board because at this point she really <laughs> runs the business. So I'll let, I'll, I'll let Lindsay tell her story of marketing to recruiting. Ooh, where do I start? Uh, so just like anyone else in talent acquisition, this fell into my lap. I come from a very competitive background. I worked at Universal McCann straight out of college. So I've been around the agency. I've been around marketing for many years. And I've got a knack for understanding people and for reading people and for judging people in the best way possible. Uh, <laughs> Brent knew that I'm from LA and uh, a judgy bitch, her words, not mine. Um, so I have, I have, a, I've got a talent for just understanding where people are going to fit in best. And that's where I have fit in with found consulting. So just being that talent connector, understanding what great cultural fits are, understanding those skills, especially for agencies, just with my own personal experience. So yeah, so here we are today. Okay, fantastic. So let's talk about the kind of the theme of the episode. So Dana and I like to manifest positivity. We like to put good energy out and have good energy come back. So when we were talking about the focus of this season, it was really about seizing the opportunity, right? There's opportunity in this chaos that we've been through over the last three, four years. So let's talk about where that opportunity is. <laughs> so <laughs> on other episodes, you'll hear us talk about just the weirdness of like the beginning to middle of 2023, right? And how as 
as an agency and as marketers, it takes me back to the 2000s, right? And this this shows my age. I went through this in the in the dot com era, and we used to say if you had a pulse, you had a job. And, you know, people were coming out of the woodwork to come to Silicon Valley and they were literally the receptionists were becoming millionaires with stock options. It was a really weird time. Like, and you felt like you were just walking around and picking up gold nuggets on the ground, right? So that was kind of what we saw, you know, as we started to roll out of COVID and, and just organizations, tech companies that had software that was supporting digital transformation, enterprises eating it up and accelerating their plans for digital transformation, which just accelerated everything. So yeah, man, that was crazy. It was crazy for us, (laughs) for all the reasons. And then this kind of, you know, just a big turn, right? And a big turn. So I mean, what was it like for you guys being on the receiving end of that? I mean, I know Dana and I call you in panic, like we need to hire people. We, you know, or you know, we just lost a person. No, we don't need to hire someone. Now we just lost a client. We're like all over. Yeah, how has that been for you? And kind of what's the pulse check of the other agencies that you guys work with? And is everybody kind of licking their wounds? What are you seeing? Yeah, I think. What an interesting time, because I think that we experienced the same kind of post-pandemic bonanza that everyone was. I mean, talk about gold nuggets. We had agencies calling us every day. We had to turn people away because people were so desperate for talent. And there was such a shortage, especially in, in MarTech of really qualified talent. And these people that were getting jobs were able to command a premium. And I think too, like the economy overall, especially in the tech space, the SaaS space, companies like Meta, Microsoft, and Amazon, I know Amazon for sure, they grew over 100% between 2019 and 2022. And I don't think that hiring was occurring during the pandemic, like the height of the pandemic, 2020. Most of that was concentrated 2021 to 2022. So you think about the competition for talent during that time was extreme. So good for us uh, in that everybody (laughs) was in this crazy competition for good people. But yeah, it was tough to hire people. And I mean, Lindsay was on the front lines of that. So I don't know how you did it, Lindsay, either. Oh, I lost my voice many a days, um, (laughs) constantly on the phone. It really felt like the wild, wild west, you guys. It was jumping here, jumping over there, adjusting job descriptions, calling hiring managers and saying, will you accept a 40K over budget right now? Because this person is actually talented and can return ROI fairly quickly, but they're going to jump. They're going to leave. They've got offers on the table. It was absolutely nuts. It was exhilarating. It was exhausting. It was everything (laughs) in between. Yeah. Yeah. It was so, I mean, Carrie, we had a client, I think, say to us, right, he was hiring two people for everyone because he didn't know who's going to show up and not, and or if they were going to bail because people were bailing so quickly after jobs because maybe another offer came in that was 20, 30 higher. Yeah, it was was a very stressful time, I think, for Carrie and I on that side of 
for us, it was, we didn't feel like we could compete with some of the tech companies, right? Yeah. We were mm-hmm. like, you know, we're small agents. The salaries were insane. The yeah. salaries were insane. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's like, wow, if you can get that, go. Just one yeah. little, one little yeah. piece of advice. At some point, that's not going to be sustainable. Yeah. You know, yeah. does it matter to you? I don't know. So then fast forward, right, right mm-hmm. to the middle of 2023, as things started to, I mean, companies making announcements of right-sizing and things like that. I mean, then what happened? It's interesting. Complete 180. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that Lindsay and I started to see this last fall, actually. The end of last summer, the smaller tech companies, these like very startup stage SaaS companies started to have layoffs, like small rounds of layoffs. So we started to see it with some of our agency clients where they had these smaller contracts, they were helping these smaller startups, and then they started dialing back. And and I think for us, initially, we were like, you know, well, it's all going to be fine because the bonanza will never stop. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And that wasn't the case because I think going into 2023, and you all probably saw this as well, the beginning of the summer, those big tech companies started feeling it. And I think we saw the ripple effects, especially in the financial industry, affecting tech. And all of a sudden, they were hiring freezes, even at companies that were recession-proof, Google, Amazon. Like, these companies all of a sudden were like, nope, we're not hiring anyone. And in fact, we're laying off our recruiting staff. And we're, yeah, I don't want to say it's been crickets. It definitely hasn't been crickets and companies are still getting along, but but it's much more selective as to what industry you're in. And I think on the B2B yeah. front, it's been more quiet for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where's the opportunity then? Where's the opportunity for people looking for new roles or for companies looking to hire, you know, where's the upside here? Yeah. <laughs> Tricky. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> Lay it on us. <laughs> I think that for us, e- e-commerce remains strong, especially entering Q4. This is the busy time of year for particular industries, logistics, e-commerce, retail. retail. Yep. Even some segments of travel and hospitality. We work with one firm that's very, very focused on travel and hospitality. And they had an amazing summer because people were finally like, we're going to go to Europe and we're going to go travel. And so there are pockets of really positive spaces. It's just, unfortunately, I think that B2B, it's going to take a minute to write the ship. Yeah. 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 Well, and I want to throw out culture too, because the opportunities are around that fully remote position. So a lot of companies right now are requiring a hybrid situation or bringing people in for culture two times a week. And younger folks, millennials, Gen Zs want nothing to do with that. So there is certainly an opportunity in remaining remote and remaining focus on what's important and your core values and promoting that. Yeah. Yeah. That's super helpful. I think you guys also mentioned to this gap around getting employees up to speed faster, right? And I think you guys are working on some stuff around that, but would love your thoughts on that because I think Carrie and I are actually looking at this now too on the the onboarding process. I think in the craziness, nobody had time to do anything, right? It was like (laughs) hair on fire. Here you go. Figure it out. This is what you got. And so I think one of the benefits of a slowdown for everyone is a 
chance to reassess kind of processes and the things that we're all doing and getting back to some of the core things I think we all know to be true. And so, you know, I think, I don't know that getting employees up to speed is most companies' strong point, right? And so what are you guys seeing around that? And what are your thoughts there? I'll take that one. I am such an onboarding geek. I think that it is, you're so right, Dana, like most companies, most companies suck at onboarding. So <laughs> so if you're one of those companies that That's also true. sucks, you're not alone. In fact, like there, <laughs> there was... There was a Gallup poll that spoke to thousands of employees. And this poll asked, was your onboarding experience good? 88% of employees said no. 88%. Yes. Like you, wow. guys, you guys are in marketing. Mm -hmm. You know like what an insane number that is. Like 12% <laughs> of companies are doing this like better than fine. That's like what an opportunity. And also what, what an insane, like, just like the fact that companies aren't paying more attention to this. It's crazy because it has such an insane impact on your bottom line. Things like employee retention, things like employee performance overall. I mean, the statistics out there are super clear. The first 90 days of an employee's journey are the main indicator of how they're going to perform at your company years from now. Like the impact of, of a good onboarding experience can last three to five years into their tenure. And the risk is if you're not doing onboarding well, chances are they won't even last three to five years. And that's another you can tell I'm a geek about this, but that's another statistic that was pretty shocking to me when I read it was most senior level leaders that are hired into an organization fail within the first 18 months. It's over 50%. And you think about the time invested, the money invested, bringing in senior leadership into your organization. And you think about also the cost of turnover and that cost is multiplied the bigger the salary, right? And so if you're turning over senior level staff because of that onboarding experience, because you haven't integrated them into your culture, gotten them up to speed on your processes, how things work at your organization, having that senior leadership turnover within 18 months is, I know if I were running a company, I wouldn't want that because it's a huge, huge cost, not only from the salary perspective, but the people perspective. So yeah, I think organizations just need to ask themselves, like, do you want to be a part of the 88 or do you want to be a part of the 12%, right? Yeah. 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 It's clear to me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, huge opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Huge opportunity. Yeah. What makes it, do you guys think, like, I mean, yes, there's processes and things that we've got to teach on how we go, but what do you think is core to a good onboarding program? Like, what do you think sets some of this apart? Oh boy, Bren is so excited for this one. You really threw a softball. <laughs> oh man, I'm not even going to dive in here. <laughs> I know. Here we go. I'm, I'm looking to Lindsay like, do you want to talk? Because I'll talk forever. Um, I, yeah, I think that a great onboarding experience has to be multifaceted. So one, there's several considerations, right? So one, you need to think about layering your onboarding. What's important at the company level? What does every employee get? So those could be 
for most companies, those are going to be cultural things like here's our values, here's how we embody this, or here's the systems that we use or communicate or whatever that is. And then over that, I like to think of it almost as like a blueprint, right? So you start with like just the walls and then you overlay that with like, okay, well, here's the internal walls and then, oh, and here's the appliances and here's where, so you go to department level, you go to team level. And then if you're really advanced in onboarding, then you go to like the micro level of this is your job title. These are the specific tasks that you need to learn about. These are the processes And so I think if you break it down by thinking about cultural systems or cultural things that an employee needs to learn, and then you think about the systems that they need to be trained in, and also the processes and specific tasks within your organization, if you approach it that way, and then kind of sprinkle in the appropriate timeline, because you don't want people drinking from a fire hose. You need them to be able to mm-hmm. to truly learn and practice. Absorb it. And absorb yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, truly learn this and then be able to put it into practice over time. So getting strategic about, well, day one, they need to learn how to use the Google suite and how we get it set up. But then maybe in a month, they get into... Salesforce and they learn the specifics of how we're running campaigns out of Salesforce, so on and so forth. So yeah, I think that a good onboarding experience starts with the basics at the company level of culture, processes, systems, but then a a more advanced onboarding process gets more granular as you start to look at these specific positions. I love that. Well, Brent mm-hmm. might have a new project. I think we should have Kim call her on this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm more than recruiting, right? I, <laughs> it sounds so hard, though. Oh, I know. Hard. That's why we're going to give it to Brent. I think you missed the whole point, Carrie. We're not going to do it. Brent's going to do it. <laughs> I I did want to add one thing from a candidate perspective as well. Some things that I've heard on my end, specifically for folks looking for new positions. So they have been given all of the flexibility in the world to create these new processes when they jump in, they're excited about it, and then they feel stuck. They feel like people are not bought into the processes that they've created. They're not given leeway. Nobody's really supporting them in all the work that they have put forth in the making a better way forward. So that's been a huge gripe. That's a big reason why a lot of folks are looking for new positions. They don't feel supported and they don't feel like people give a shit. Yeah. Change management for those kinds of things are so instrumental, right? Team adoption, things like that. And that's a really good point. Yeah. How much does, just out of curiosity, throwing something in there, how much does working virtual play into some of that challenge, do you think? Mm. Or not? Mm. I mean, everybody wants to work virtual. We do. I mean, Carrie and I haven't worked in an office and I mean, we were like virtual way before COVID. So, I mean, I haven't worked in an office since I've had Ian's, I mean, 12, 15 years. So I don't, I don't know another way, but I think when you're younger and trying to implement change as much as they don't want to be in an office, like I actually think it's harder, but I don't know, you know? That's a really good question. I think, especially for the Gen Zs, the millennials, it shouldn't play any role. So I don't think that being remote is an excuse for not having a good collaborative nature within a company. 
it's tricky. It's really hard. I think just making sure that they all feel heard and seen and given clear direction on whether or not what they're trying to put forward is going to work out or not is a big deal. So it's really just communication, having team bonding, however you can do that as well. Even if it's one time, two times a year, a little retreat goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah. And having a good manager too, right? To support these efforts is critical. And you know, you always hear people don't leave companies, they leave people, (laughs) right? And so... Yeah. Well, it's true, right? I mean, if you think what... I mean, we've said it before and probably on this podcast. I mean, we all spend more time together at work than we do with our families. Let's be real. Even virtually, which sounds so weird, but I talk to Carrie more than I probably talk to my husband and kids, right? So <laughs> I don't, it's a weird thing, it's true. right? I mean, like you look at just our days and like, I look at the amount of hours in a day that I'm in front of my desk talking to people at the organization versus the time in the morning I'm with my kids at night. And mm-hmm. it's not even guys, right? It just yeah. isn't. So I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's definitely part of it. So if you're working with someone mm-hmm. you don't like, that's not a yeah. fun thing. Mm-hmm. No, no. And to put that's that so in true. perspective, Dana, we worked with you guys for what, almost two years before we finally got to sit down and throw back a few bottles of wine. And I don't, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think anything was missed there. I think the, the, the friendship was, was completely yep. there, if not enhanced with some, with some vino in front of us. But yeah, I feel like, you know, as long as it's done correctly and people you know, people feel like they can be themselves and you'll get some good stuff from them. Yeah. We're really lucky. We have a gal on our team, Julie, who does, and I know you guys know Julie and she has wears many hats in the agency for us. But one of the big thing is, is employee happiness from the sense of, you know, she gets really creative with how do we do virtual? Because we, like, again, we've been virtual since the beginning. So she's been charged with how do we do team get togethers in a virtual way? How do we do? And I am just always amazed by the creativity she brings to virtual events. And I mean, for the last couple of years, she's pulled off a secret white elephant Santa kind of thing remote, like we're literally trading gifts that she opens all behind her for numbers. And like, I mean, all you feel like you're in the room and yeah, she's dressed up wild. like Santa or an elf. It's hilarious. I, I don't know how, she, I mean, the amount of work that goes in is crazy, but it doesn't feel like we're not in a room, right? So, I mean, like she's done a really good job. So it can be done. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure it's, Julie would probably vouch that it's pretty challenging at times, but she does it. So yeah. Well, and it sounds like you guys are really doing it right because we hear from so many companies because we do work with some companies that have a hybrid situation or want people in the office. And, and I think now the discussion with those companies is, well, why couldn't it work remote? Like you should be asking those questions, right? Why can't this work remote for people? Because remote work is no longer an excuse for bad culture. It's no longer an excuse for lack of connection. Like we live in such a virtual heavy world that if you can't create an amazing culture where people are engaged in a remote setting, you're just not trying hard enough. Yeah, Mm. I agree. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I agree. And I remember working for places before we were remote, like we can't go remote. Nobody works. Nobody does their job. And we all know it's the opposite, Uh right? I mean, I know there was all the stuff of quiet quitting and all of that, but the reality is, is unfortunately or fortunately, however you look at it, we all work more when I don't have to commute because now I'm just in front of my desk earlier and I stay later, right? That's just how it is. So totally, I don't know if that's good, but it's definitely the truth. (laughs) So yeah. 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 All right. So we're going to do a little game now. Well, I don't know if it's a game, but sort of. So 
I think there's a lot of misconceptions about agency jobs and working direct on the client side for marketers. And so I think we all came up with some like truth or um, truth or dare. I don't think it's truth or dare, but are these true or real? <laughs> so um, we could go there, but we don't have any cocktails. So, that so, um, <laughs> so I think we'll just throw these out. And if you guys want to talk about, do you think they're true? What do you, and do it from the perspective, like what is, what do you think? I mean, you guys talk to the talent every day. What do you think their perceptions are that you hear the most? Most related to these. So the first one is agencies work you to the bone. It's long hours, no work-life balance. I'm going to preface my answer with, am I on the side of the agency or the candidate? Right now? <laughs> <laughs> Always on the side of the candidate. Always. Yeah, okay. Always. okay. Okay. <laughs> From what I hear, their folks feel like they are worked to the bone and they are thrown into the fire and it's really, it's a tough environment to stick around in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Bren? Is that what you're hearing? Totally. I think that there's definitely people out there that recognize the opportunity working in an agency. And I think from our perspective, like, yes, from the candidate perspective, there's absolutely a perception. I'm going to go to an agency. I'm going to work long hours. They're not going to appreciate me. And there's just like churn and burn, baby. Like we know we're going to lose people. It's almost like the investment banking that, that if you're an, yeah. Ivy, <laughs> you're an Ivy League grad, you're going to go work on Wall Street for a year until you just crash and burn because you're just worked <laughs> to the bone. But I think yeah. that the reality being a recruiter that does work on both sides, because we do place corporate side positions as well, is there's a tremendous opportunity to agency work. You get to try so many more things. You get to learn so much more about different industries. And there's, I think that we find a lot of people who go in-house get bored. (laughs) And there's a lot of red tape that they have to deal with. And they're working with an executive team that doesn't understand marketing. And it's just a really different, going from being an agency that's being paid for your expertise to just an internal employee trying to pitch a new idea it's completely different. And I think we've seen a lot of people who are a little more seasoned in their careers, who've worked in-house and agency. A lot of those people don't have such a strong preference against agency because they know, well, gosh, yeah, it's going to be fast paced, but if I'm working at the right agency, they're going to help me maintain those boundaries and the work-life balance. I feel like people that really thrive in agency environments are those that like a little bit of managed chaos, right? Because <laughs> for sure, you know, you got stuff coming at you all the time. You're you're switching your thoughts very quickly. If you're not comfortable with that, and we've had a number of employees that have been amazing, but just don't thrive in that environment where they've got to be on the spot, they've got to be able to pivot. That maybe they need a more thoughtful approach. They need more time to to think things through and find that they are better in a corporate environment where they're not having to wear as many hats. So I think that it does take a certain type of person to thrive in an agency. Yeah, I agree. I also think too, it'll be interesting to see if things change. I mean, as we're seeing the climate change, what we also know is marketers, like depending on 
what the climate is like. If your client side right now, there is tremendous pressure to perform and they've really scaled back on the teams. Now that's not always the case, right? We saw a couple of years where they, I think they were pregnant with team members and everybody was able to work their eight to five job. And they were great because there were so many people and budgets were huge. And I mean, you know, we've had some really tough conversations in the last few weeks. I mean, we, we literally woke up this morning and two of our clients are gone two different at two different places, main contacts, like gone. And so I think that the people that are left, we had a conversation for a podcast last week that the pressure if you're left to perform is going to start to get really, is going to get intense. So it'll be interesting to see if some of that perception starts to shift, at least for your mid-sized companies and probably startup environments where they're not hitting their goals. So yeah, totally. Well, and that brings up a good point. I think like the time is right for outside contractors, including outside agencies, because we've seen such this swing from being pregnant with talent internally to, oh, wait, we overhired and we didn't anticipate these shifts in the economy. Well, why don't we just outsource this function to the experts anyway? That way we don't have to pay the unemployment. We don't have to pay the benefits. I think that the time is right for like the rise of the freelancer and the century of the contractor. I'm calling it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is true, right? I mean, Carrie and I talk that agencies thrive in environments like this, right? Because it's much easier to put a line item for agency work on the P&L versus hiring people to your point. So I think it's Carrie and I's biggest actually fear is more the status quo. When when the economy is not good or bad and you're just kind of in the middle and everyone's, that's more where we, you know, when things are booming, you're good or where things are down, you tend to be okay as an agency because they need help. But yeah, that's a good question. What else you got, Dana? Okay. Agencies do not pay as well as client side. I mean, it's just a fact. Come on, give it to <laughs> us. That's okay. We're good, guys. <laughs> Tell the truth, um, Lindsay. <laughs> yes. Give it to us hard. <laughs> I'd say on average, agencies pay anywhere from 15 to 30K less than something you'd see client side. And with everything we already talked about, it doesn't mean it's better. It doesn't mean they're going to work on more exciting stuff. They're going to be dealing with a lot of internal bullshit. So there is there is that attraction with agencies. But from what I've seen with candidates that are having conversations on both sides, it's anywhere between 15 and 30K less. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is it if you separate out tech companies, is that different? Like if we were to say, okay, let's put B2B tech companies in their own bucket. Are we on a little more of an even playing field (laughs) or... Yeah, totally. Yes, Yes, absolutely. (laughs) You don't have to lie to us. Carrie and I will go back to the budget right now for next year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that, yeah, it's when it comes to tech companies, it's just like, it's crazy. And I do think that there's some dialing back happening from like, we are seeing salary corrections because there was definitely some salary inflation over the crazy times that we talked about earlier. But we have seen companies dialing back both on the on the company side of things as well as on the agency side of things. So I think that two companies internally are stepping that back some, these wild salaries. And we're seeing those I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Lindsay, but I think we're seeing those salaries get closer, even on like the tech side of things. I would agree. And I'm also going to add that there is a major lack of loyalty 
typically in those positions from the company to the candidates. So they know that if they go in, they're going to be the first ones gone. So I see more layoffs client side than I do agency side, at least right now. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Yeah. What else, All right. Dana? Let's see what else here. We got? We've, we've kind of hit a few of these in that. Let's do agencies offer more stability versus in-house roles. So that kind of talks to what you started to hit on a little bit, Lindsay. Yeah. Agencies need the help. <laughs> that's typically <laughs> where it comes from. They're not trying to drop folks, or at least that's that's what's happening in the last few years. But I have seen a lot of layoffs from that client side. So yeah, I think that that, I mean, that's another bonus for agency. Not only is it going to be something exciting every day that you'll work on, things are always different, but you get to be strategic and you get to change your approach a lot. You get a mess up, you get to have big wins. So it's kind of all over the place. Whereas I feel like in that client side, you don't really get those opportunities to make those mistakes. Yeah. 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 One thing that that I think has become apparent to me in this post-pandemic like shrink down that we're experiencing too, is I think there's like this long-held myth of like the tech company culture. And we've seen yeah. and we've seen mm-hmm. the cracks, right? And not yeah. to mention names, but particular Ohana's talking about family. <laughs> talking about we're all family and we're all mm-hmm. in it together and we support our employees. And then we turn around and we're laying off literally thousands. Yeah. And like in a really maybe not good way to handle some of those things. And I think that employees now look at the the Googles of the world and some of these tech giants that have always had these sterling silver reputations for culture and caring about employees. And they're like, wait a second, you're just like everyone else. And at the end of the day, it's all about the bottom line. Whereas a lot of our agency clients, and I think obviously we're working with smaller clients, right? But I think that that's an advantage because you know your employees and you have a relationship with your employees. Whether they're a coordinator to senior management, you're talking to all of them directly. And I think that having that direct relationship and them knowing that you care about me, Carrie and Dana care about me and my life and my well-being and the fact that I have a job a week from now and two weeks from now. I think that people are really disillusioned with like this, oh, look at us. We have this great culture because it's how real (laughs) is it? Because we give free lunches and (laughs) oh, by the way, there's a doctor office on Seville. Instead of looking at going, really, they're just trying to keep you there all day, guys. So, (laughs) you know, make sure, you know. Well, I think it'll also be interesting as Gen Z is fully into the workforce. I think they're the wild card here, you know? I think the millennials have kind of settled in. They're realizing that they got a shit sandwich because, you know, they can't afford to buy houses and like they're still paying off huge student loans. You know, the millennials, they've got a rough go. Yeah. Gen Z, it'll be interesting. We'll see. You know, they're much more skeptical. I don't know. I don't know. I'm anxious to see when Gen Z is fully in the workforce, how that changes things. Yeah. I'm interested if I can throw a question back to you two. I'm interested 
excited how you're seeing the Gen Z demographic enter like their prime buying years within the next few years here, entering the workforce and like they're going to make up the bulk of the workforce in what, like another 10 years or something like that. How are you seeing that affect your business, both from the marketing perspective as well as the hiring perspective? Well, I think from the hiring perspective, Dana and I are, you know, we cover the gamut. We've got people at the end of their careers, people at the beginning of their careers and everything in between. I do feel that the Gen Z generation, they won't tolerate a lot of stuff, right? And so, you know, trying to give the flexibility and um, give them the opportunity to own their own things and, and stuff like that is really important. You know, I have two children that are Gen Z. One is a software developer living in San Francisco and he'll call me for advice. He works for a large organization there that also has the hybrid model. He'll call me for advice and I like his thinking and the thing, the way that he interacts with his boss. And I see his boss like trying to manage him. And it's so different. It's so, so, so different. But they're smart. You know, they know so much because their entire life they've been able to get the answer to every fucking question. Yeah, no patience. No, they never, nobody going to the library and pulling up an encyclopedia, (laughs) right? So, so it is this kind of expectation and this multitasking ability that is unbelievable like doing three or four things at once, really, truly, and not just pretending. So I think it's going to be interesting, Bren. You know, I think Dana and I are watching it. I think we're ready for it because we understand it. But, you know, it's going to change things. There's a nuance to it that's interesting to me because, and Carrie and I have talked about this. So they have something new all the time. They need something new all the time. So I think that goes to their multitasking. They have so many screens. They have all of this. So, And so the need for newness sometimes is, you know, they're not really learning the job or the thing underneath it. Like they haven't really accomplished it. They're just ready to move on. And so I think one of the challenges in the workforce is they're ready to move on to something new, but they haven't really done the job that they needed to do. And so there's this balance of trying to bring excitement into the day-to-day of what they're doing that I don't know that we have the answer to yet, but like the job isn't going to change day-to-day. Can't get promoted every week. There's not something new. Like sometimes it is. I mean, agency life, at least a little more exciting than if I was doing like, gosh, if I'm just doing email marketing at a big company, like, yeah, they're going to be like, okay, I'm done. I don't want to send any more emails like a week later. Right. And so I think it is about kind of like, how do you make their job multifaceted? How do you make them feel part of the process, but also make them understand that, Hey, you got a little more to learn here. Like, I know you think you're ready to do this, but you really aren't yet. And it's not like old stereotypes of, no, you got to be in this job for 10 years where you get promoted. That's what we're saying. We're saying you really have gaps. You haven't learned everything you need to learn to move into the next role. So I think that's some of the complexities we're seeing with some of the younger people is they just want to move up and on and move on to something else without learning all the skills that they really need to go up and on. I mean, it's really just because they're bored because they're on TikTok or they're on this and something changes every 20 seconds and they don't know. They're like, yeah, but I'm done. I'm like, yeah, sort of, but not really. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Really good topic. We could talk about that all day. Okay. So let's go ahead and wrap up here, guys, because I know we've taken up so much of your time and we really appreciate it. What do you got cooking? What's on the radar for next year for you guys? Oh boy, here we go again. (laughs) I'll kick things off. (laughs) 
I'm going to talk about onboarding. No. So we've worked with a couple of clients on onboarding projects, just helping them really map out what onboarding looks like at an organizational level, as well as um, more granular, as we discussed before. So looking forward to doing more of that in the new year. I've been doing a couple of talks about onboarding as well, which is exciting. So hoping to be launching more onboarding projects in 2024. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. To get you starting to connect with Kim, I'm serious about that one. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. All right. Anything else? No. Lindsay? Just keep on, start? keep on. Yeah, I'm the workhorse here. So she's the one. She's the strategic. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, keep hiring some great people. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. love it. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we always end with a fun question. So we've had a variety so far this season, but this will be fun for some of us, not for all of us. Yeah. I'm regretting <laughs> putting this question down after the last few games. Um, so we're all hockey fans for those of you out there and we all live in different cities. So we all have different teams. So I don't know. We all had teams who made it pretty far last year in the playoffs. And this year, probably not so much, at least for one of us. <laughs> who are you talking about, Dana? Who are you who are you referring to? Guys, I'm actually going to admit this right now. Tony and I were at a game Saturday night. We have season tickets to the Kraken. It's the first game I had been at this season because my little one always goes with Tony. And we left third period because it was so bad. I was like, I can't even watch this. I was like, we literally, second period, we went up to the bar. And then by third period, I was like, do you just want to leave? I want to go get some ice cream. <laughs> so we literally <laughs> left and went to Molly Moon's. I was like, I can't even watch this. So it's been pretty bad all week. I mean, we were ahead last night, white friend. Um, mm, mm. <laughs> was it last night or two nights ago? Yeah. Weren't we just playing with... No, we were the Oilers no. last night. Sorry. Okay. So. Yeah. All I know is that uh, the Avs kicked Anaheim's ass last night. Um, I last think night. like... Yeah. Was, was it mm-hmm. like eight to one or something? It was it was something crazy. Two. That, Give them their two. Come okay. on, Benny. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The, That's Anaheim like a football score. I know, yeah. right? <laughs> Especially lately with football. My gosh. But... Um, no, yeah. I don't know. I think Vegas, though, Carrie, your Golden Knights are looking... still on fire. So the thing about the Golden Knights and how Vegas perceives them, like I know they get poo-pooed because it was like, oh, you, you got a ready-made team, blah, blah, blah. We came on board in 2017. That was the year right after the 1 October massacre at Mandalay Bay. And so they were there. They were there. And so the community, they really surrounded the community. They were there in a way like everywhere you turned, right? They were supporting. And so I think there's this unique bond that the locals have with that team that is kind of odd in a way. I mean, I've never seen anything like it, but they feel like they're family because they're protectors or saviors or whatever. So it's, so, so that's the interesting thing that I've observed. And the other thing, guys, like nobody does it like Vegas. The games <laughs> yeah. are so <laughs> fucking fun, right? Oh, it's like, it is not it's like, hockey. It does I, not feel like hockey. You know, I remember 
remember the the first time I went was with Dana and I was like, wow, these hockey games are amazing because it's like, you know, these 3D things and dancers and, and there's Dana's a castle like, and horns. I'm like, a fortress. Is, it's a fortress. Fortress. Sorry. It's a fortress. <laughs> this is not that. Yeah. Like we're all like, that's not hockey. Dana's like, this isn't the way. And then when I went to the cracking game, I know they've upped their game a little bit, but I was like, wow, this is pretty boring. It's just, we're just here to watch hockey. <laughs> There's all the flash and glitz. But yeah, so for those that don't know, the Vegas Golden Knights won the Stanley Cup. They were just in DC meeting meeting at the White House and then the Caps kicked their ass. It was just like, Mm -hmm. oh, that was so depressing. (laughs) Well, okay, so did I hear right that the Canucks are actually in first place? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, when did that happen and how? I mean, guys, it's early in the season. I was like, it's early in the season. Anything can happen at this point. It's true. I hope we all make it to the playoffs this year and then we can have some really throwdowns. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Talk smack. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots of, lots oh, yeah. of uh, shit talking in our future. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not about the Kraken. I not, would love yeah. to think they're going to come back, but I, I don't still know. Still early, Dana. It's it still is. early. Still there, can be, there can be some trades or some injuries, and you never know what's mm-hmm. going to happen. I did say to Tony, our season tickets are for renewal this year, and I was like, so do we get a discount given how the season's doing it? Like, I mean, I'm like, hey, I'm only renewing if you, I, I mean, it's going to suck for them. They're not going to be able to raise our rates. Like I'm sure they were hoping to do, because we're all going to be like, eh, I'm not so mm-hmm. sure. Oh my gosh. So funny. Oh, so funny. Great. Well, guys, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us. We could sit here and talk forever. Um, but this was a really great conversation and we appreciate you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Anytime. Thanks again. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. And that's as real as it's getting with this episode. Thanks for joining our hosts, Dana Harder and Carrie Baldwin with Unreal Digital Group in this podcast, Marketing Gets Real, where we talk to savvy leaders who seek change, adapt to it, and leverage it as an opportunity. If you're loving these oh shit, tell it how it is conversations, then please subscribe, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts from. Until next time.